If we haven't met before, my name is Ashley, and I'm the lead pastor here. I want to welcome you to our final installment of Waves. Man, I can't believe Waves is already over. That went by so fast. I loved hearing all the stories of life change that have been coming out of this series. We're going to get to hear one a little bit later today. Um, thank you so much for being here in the room, and we say hi to everybody watching from vacation online. We're so glad you're joining us. With waves, faith comes by hearing, and hearing through sound waves about God. We've talked about miracles of healing during this series. We've talked about miracles of protection and deliverance and provision. They've all been interwoven throughout each week of waves. How many of you have a place in your life where you'd love to see God intervene for you or a loved one through a miracle? Come on. We are expecting good things from our incredible God. Today's message is called Miracles. A miracle is when God in heaven intervenes here on earth. Real simple. When God does the impossible that we cannot do. When he does miracles through our faith. The disciples saw Jesus do 37 miracles. That must have been so amazing. They saw Jesus' faith in action and they're like, how can we get some more of what he has? So in Luke 17, 5, they came to him, they said to Jesus, give us more faith. But the master said, you don't need more faith. There's no more or less in faith. If you have a bare kernel of faith, say the size of a poppy seed, teeny tiny, you could say to this sycamore tree, go jump in the lake, and it would do it. If you have faith, God can do miracles through you. You either have faith because you've believed in Jesus, or you don't have it yet because you haven't believed in him yet. Jesus said there's not more or less in faith. There are some things in life where we already have everything we're gonna get. When you get a job, you become an employee. You're 100% an employee. You don't go to your boss and say, can I be more of an employee? Can I be less of an employee? No, you are an employee. My husband and I were at a fast food restaurant a few weeks ago after church, and there was an employee standing outside in their uniform. And a gentleman came up to them and said, you know, can I open the door for you? You're headed into your workplace. And she's like, oh, no, no, no. My shift doesn't start for five minutes. I don't work here until then. Well, I'm sorry, honey. You have the uniform on and you do work there, whether your shift is on or not. And he said to her, well, I really like your food here. She said, I don't. I don't eat it. I'm like, oh, my gosh, you're an employee. You represent your company. When you get married, you get all of the relational implications that come with that. You can't be more married or less married. On day one of your marriage, you are completely married, okay? Don't try to tell your spouse you're not. You're fully married, whether it's been 50 years or one day. How much you enjoy the benefits of being married, though, that's completely up to you. When you become a parent, you are 100% a parent. You have that baby in the hospital, they hand it to you. You're a parent. You can't be like, I don't know, I'm only feeling like 10% a parent. Doesn't matter how you feel, you're a parent. If your baby's hours old or you have grown children, how much you embrace parenthood, that's up to you. In the same way, there's no more or less when it comes to faith. Peter says we have equal faith because of Jesus. 2 Peter 1.1 says, To those who have, who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter is saying, you have an equal faith because of Jesus. The moment you believe in him, you receive the gift of faith. 
What's up to us, though, is how do we use our faith? Every day we have the opportunity to believe Jesus, to believe that he took the penalty for all of our shortcomings so that we could have a relationship with God, not because of anything we do, but because of everything that he did. Every day we have the opportunity to believe Jesus is our healer or to accept being sick. Every day we have the opportunity to say, Jesus, you're my provider, or to worry about your finances. We get to choose to believe that he's a good father or compare to him to our earthly father, to believe he has great plans for our lives or to look at the reality of what we see in front of us when God has promised so much that is unseen. We have the opportunity to believe we've been made new and be the new creation we are or to see ourselves the way that we used to before we believed. I like to think of our beliefs as our faith as a giant spreadsheet. Excel or Google Sheets, maybe you work with spreadsheets in high school or maybe you work with them every day and you can think about this illustration as you're doing them. Um, one of my friends actually watches TikToks about spreadsheets because he is really into numbers. There are those people. So your faith is like a giant Excel spreadsheet. When you believe in Jesus, your spreadsheet is open. And a spreadsheet's just a document on your computer. It's got lots of cells of data in it. Each cell has its own data, and there are formulas where you could add up all the cells to, um, you know, you could add two plus two is four. All your data in there. But instead of numbers and math formulas, our faith spreadsheet contains lots of facts. Lots of facts that we either believe or we disbelieve. Lots of facts that are like 100% certain to us, a few that maybe we're unsure of, and some that we haven't even heard of yet. Like maybe in your spreadsheet is a belief that God is a good father. Or maybe there was a belief that God is not so good, that you're turning around into the truth of who God is. As we change what we think, our beliefs in our spreadsheet, they're shifting. As additional information is presented to us through God's word or experiences with him, new beliefs in the spreadsheet are turned on, other beliefs are corrected and turned off. Other beliefs are changed. Best of all, with each cell that changes, you get a spreadsheet that's more accurate than it was before. God does not require a spreadsheet of beliefs that is free of error. He does not require us to believe every single thing perfectly like Jesus. That would be the law. He desires a spreadsheet of beliefs that is becoming more and more like Jesus's as we're transformed. It's an adventure that lasts a lifetime because God is so vast. There's so much to believe about him. In our spreadsheet are thousands and thousands of promises that some that are yet to be discovered. There's so many treasures and beliefs that we get to know as we get to know Jesus. And he's patient with us as we fill our spreadsheet of beliefs with him by our side. Once we believed in Jesus, we don't need more faith. We need to get to know Jesus. He's the author and the perfecter of our faith. We need to have a life-giving and vibrant relationship with him. Because what you believe about Jesus determines how you'll relate to him. It's one thing to believe in Jesus, but then what do you actually believe about him? Your beliefs determine your expectations. We tend to make assumptions about Jesus. We make assumptions about people when we don't really know them. Imagine you're getting on a bus and you look for seats, and there's only two seats available. 
One is by a really tall, gruff-looking, unshaven guy with a scowl. And one is by this teeny tiny, sweet, elderly woman. Who are you going to sit by? You're probably going to sit by the sweet old lady, right? Well, what if a few minutes later, you figure out that she's actually a pickpocket and she's stolen your wallet? You totally judge that man incorrectly in that story. And we do the same thing all the time in our relationships with other people and especially in our relationship with Jesus. We limit him with some of our assumptions. We've believed things that we've heard other people say about him, our parents, friends. We believe things that aren't actually true. We've believed things that are a lie, like maybe we felt, oh, God is mad at me, but actually he loves you. Maybe we've believed, oh, church is boring, but actually I came to Hope Church and Hope Church is pretty fun. Come on. We replace that belief in our spreadsheet with the truth. We've seen paintings of Jesus that make him look really boring when actually he's so fun. Come on, he created fun. Uh, sometimes what we know about Jesus is incomplete. We just don't know everything that he has available to us. We don't know that at the cross, not only did he save us, but when he saved us, he healed us. He prospered us. He made us whole. When we don't know that, though, we're limited by our lack of knowledge. We have tons of empty cells waiting to have the truth of God's word put in them. We limit our faith when we base our beliefs on our experiences, other people's traditions, or on our own understanding instead of God's word, instead of who Jesus says he is. When our faith is limited, we actually limit God. The Israelites experienced this in Psalm 78. This psalm talks about how God had rescued the people from slavery. He had sent all these plagues, on Pharaoh, he had parted the sea so the people could walk through it. He did miracle after miracle. He gave the people a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He gave them water from a rock. When they were hungry, he fed them manna. The Bible says it was the food of angels. He fed them angel food. Miracle after miracle after miracle. Yet over and over again, they didn't believe him. And when they didn't believe him, they limited him. Verse 12 says, He did miracles in the sight of their ancestors in the land of Egypt, in the region of Zoan. In spite of his wonders, they did not believe. They limited the Holy One of Israel. Isn't that so sad? They didn't believe when God was giving them all of this evidence of who he was. And they limited him. May that never be us, people of hope. Their spreadsheet had a lot of beliefs turned off. They stopped expecting miracles from God. Let's be people who expect something from him because what you believe about Jesus determines what you'll receive from him. The people of Nazareth, they saw Jesus with familiarity and most of them, they received nothing. Jesus was going around doing miracles, changing lives. I mean, it was a big deal. It was really exciting. And Mark 6, 6 says, Jesus left there. He went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? They're like trying to understand. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. 
at us. Oh, sad. They took offense at him. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there. He could not do any miracles there except lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. He was amazed at that lack of faith. And they received what they believed. Their lack of faith limited them. To the rest of the world, he was savior, messiah, healer. To them, he was familiar. Isn't this Mary's son? I mean, don't we know his siblings? Didn't we grow up with him? I mean, we played with him as kids. We went to the synagogue together. What do you mean he's like healing people? Where does he get this wisdom from? I don't know if we should believe him. And they were offended. But they missed out on what God was doing because God used someone that was familiar to them. Your ability to receive from Jesus depends on how you perceive him. He doesn't do miracles where people don't believe him. When he raised a little girl from the dead, he dismissed everyone from the room, except for Peter, James, and John. Because everyone in the room, when he said, she's not dead, she's going to live, they laughed. And he realized, I can't do a miracle if there is so much unbelief. And then he healed her. When Jesus healed blind men, he asked in Matthew 9, 28, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Is this belief in your spreadsheet? Yes, Lord, they answered. Then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, will it be done to you? Do you believe I can heal? Because I can, but do you believe it? According to your faith, let it be done to you. According to what you believe, you will be healed. What are you believing about Jesus today? There were two people in the Bible that says their faith amazed Jesus. We want to look at them today. One was a Roman centurion with a servant who was really sick and about to die. Luke 7, 3 says, So when he heard about Jesus, faith comes by hearing, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving. Jesus, he deserves this. For he loves our nation. He's built us a synagogue. He's awesome. He's built us a synagogue. The J Jewish elders are like, he deserves it. He's earned it. Verse 6, Jesus went with them. And when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying to him, don't even trouble yourself. I am not worthy that you should enter my roof. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you, but say the word, and my servant will be healed. I love that faith. I believe if you just say it, my servant will be healed. And he explains himself. I, I know why authority works. Having soldiers under me, I say to one, go, and he goes. To another, come, and he comes. To my servant, do this, and he does this. And when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And those who were sent returning to the house found the servant well who had been sick. Jesus did a miracle. He spoke the word and the servant who wasn't even there was healed. The centurion believed in Jesus, first of all. That opened his spreadsheet of faith. And then he believed Jesus could heal his servant with just a word. Healing belief, on in his spreadsheet. Great faith believes in Jesus, and then it believes his word. It believes what he says. It believes his promises. Faith manifests when we believe his word. 
There was another person in the Bible with great faith. This was a woman, Matthew 15, 22. A woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him saying, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon possessed. I don't know about you, but I think even a little demon possessed is a bad thing. Like she doesn't need to say that. But anyway, she's severely demon possessed. This is an emergency. But he answered her, not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He's saying, I had a plan to go to the Jews first. This isn't in the plan, lady. But her faith moved him. She came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. He answered her and said, It's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord. Even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, Woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Come on. She had great faith. Even when Jesus himself said, It's not time for me to help you. She's like, I don't care. I believe in you, Jesus. And I believe that you can heal my daughter. I believe in you, spread she open. My belief that you can heal my daughter, belief on. Jesus said, let it be to you as you desire. Sounds like the blind men earlier. Let it be done according to what you believe. I can do it, but let it be done according to what you believe. What do the centurion and this Canaanite woman have in common? One's a guy, one's a girl. One's a Roman, one's a Canaanite, one's a housewife, one's a soldier. One, the disciples are like, don't even talk to her. Let's not give her the time of day. They refer to her as a dog. The other one, the uh, priests are like, he deserves this. What they have in common is that they are not Jewish. So what, what does that mean to us? Why do we care? They didn't relate to God out of the law. They didn't come to him trying to earn something. They were like Gentiles. They were Gentiles. They were like us. They were people who believed by faith. They weren't trying to earn or deserve anything, but they were trusting Jesus. They didn't know everything. They couldn't explain everything. They didn't follow all the rules of the law, but they simply believed Jesus, and they believed what he said. They had great faith, not because of what they did, but because of who they believed. Great faith is believing in Jesus and believing what he says. So if we look at our opening story in Luke 17, 5, where the apostles came up to him and said, give us more faith. He said, you don't need more faith. There's no more or less in faith. Here's the part we didn't really talk about. He says, if you have a bare kernel of faith, say the size of a poppy seed, you could say to this sycamore tree, jump in the lake and it would do it. So Jesus says, you don't need more or less faith but you need to use your faith. Put it to work. What you believe about Jesus isn't just for believing's sake. It determines the fruit of your life. What you believe about him determines the fruit of your life. If you use your faith, Jesus says, you can tell trees to jump into lakes. And the Greek word here says, the tree will listen to you and obey. This is the same word that talks about the wind and the waves obeying Jesus. If you use your faith, the natural will obey you. 
Another translation says, if you use your faith, you can move mountains. You don't need more faith. You have everything you need for life and godliness. You need to operate in the faith that you have. Stop asking for more faith and start acting on your faith. That's what Jesus is saying to his disciples. Use your faith. The next verse says, Which of you having a servant plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he's coming from the field, Come at once and sit down and eat? Will he not rather say to him, Prepare something for my supper, gird yourself and serve me till I've eaten and drunk, and afterward you eat and drink? So he's saying, Which of you having a servant will not have him just feed you dinner first? Everybody. If that's your servant, that's what he's supposed to do. In this story, you are the master. And you have a servant that's called faith. Faith is a gift from God. And like a servant, Jesus says your faith should work for you and should not stop working. You don't have to work to earn your faith. You have faith when you believe in Jesus. And while you're resting in who Jesus is, while you rest in what he's already done, you can put your faith to work. If you're not using your faith, it's like allowing your servant to watch TV all day. And then you wonder why your faith isn't producing anything. You're not putting it to work. Put it to work. That's what it's for. Verse 9 says, Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. I think not. That is what your faith is for. It's what it's supposed to do. You don't need more faith. You need to put it to work. Act on what Jesus says. In John 5, there was a man who had been paralyzed for 38 years. It's a long time. Verse 6, when Jesus saw him lying there and learned he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured, he picked up his mat, and he walked. Jesus says, get up. He was cured, and then he got up. Some of us are cured, and we're still sitting down on the inside. Jesus says, get up up activate your faith i have healed you now go we're healed and we don't believe it that belief is off in our spreadsheet it doesn't make us less healed it just makes us missing out put your faith to work someone in our church was struggling with deciding to tithe earlier this year they heard the truth at the end of the experience that God says, return the first 10% of your income to me and see if I don't pour out so much blessing you won't have room to store it. And they're like, I want to believe this. But I'm looking at my finances and I'm saying, how is that possible? And they said, you know what? I'm just going to believe it anyway. And so they started tithing. They started putting God first in the, all of their things and paying their bills after and month after month, they had exactly enough. They didn't have any extra, but they were able to pay all their bills. A couple weeks ago, they were telling me they received an unexpected bonus from work for $8,000. This was a bonus that just happened to be recently created that they had no idea they were eligible to receive. I love that they made that decision to believe what God says and act accordingly. They did their part with their faith, and God did the miraculous, the part that only he can do. For some of us, we need to come forward for prayer after today's message. 
You've been waiting for permission that you already have. You've been wanting to be prayed over, and today's the day that you get to take that step. For others of us, it's choosing to forgive. You feel heavy. You feel like you're carrying something that's not yours to carry. You feel angry. God wants to give you peace, but it's up to you to choose to forgive. Maybe for you, it's choosing to speak words of life over people. Maybe your whole life, people have said other things to you, and you've been using your words in the same way, to hurt, not to help. And it's hard, but you're making a choice to say, I'm gonna use my words as a gift. Like Pastor Dave talked about last week, I'm gonna use my words to build people up. Or maybe for you, today, your faith is spending time relating to God in worship. It's lifting your hands. It's doing something you've never done before. Saying, God, I trust you. James 2.22 says, isn't it obvious that faith and works are yoked partners? That faith expresses itself through works? That the works are works of faith? Faith and works are yoked. They work together. We don't do good things to earn salvation. We don't try to be good enough for God to love us more. That's the biggest lie the devil gets people to believe. We do good works because we've believed in Jesus and he's changed us. Because he's transforming us from the inside out. Because we can't help but be who he created us to be as he empowers us. Come on. The next verse says, the full meaning of believe in that sentence, Abraham believed God and was set right with God, includes action. It's that weave of believing and acting that got Abraham named God's friend. Is it not evident that a person is made right with God, not by a barren faith, but by faith fruitful in works? Fruitful faith. We're made right with God by a living, breathing faith that produces fruit. God wants to do great things in our church. He wants to do great things through each one of us. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. He can accomplish more than we ask, more than we can even imagine. How does he do it? Through us. He works within us. He works through you. He works through me, through people of hope. He chooses to use us. Not because we're perfect, but because we're not. Because he's God and he wants to show off to the world who he is. He wants us to choose to put our faith to work. To believe in Jesus, but not just stop there. To believe what he says. There are people around you that he wants to do miracles through. Don't treat them as familiar. God wants to do miracles through you. Don't discount yourself. Acts 19.11 says that God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. I love that sentence. That's exactly how he works. God did extraordinary miracles through a person, through Paul. He wants to do extraordinary miracles through you. Put your name in there. Get rid of Paul. Extraordinary miracles through Ashley, through Noah. God did extraordinary miracles through Jan. Extraordinary miracles through Unique, through you. And maybe you're thinking, who, me? Yeah, you. 
Mark 16, 15, he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe, which is us. If you've believed in Jesus, these signs will accompany you. They'll cast out demons in my name. They'll speak in new languages. They'll be able to place their hands on the sick and they'll be healed. And the disciples went everywhere and preached and the Lord worked through them. That's what he does. He works through people, confirming what they said by many miraculous signs. These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will tell people about Jesus. They will speak in new languages. They will cast out demons. They will place their hands on the sick and they'll be healed. This should be normal for a follower of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus said so. Do you have this belief on in your belief spreadsheet? Maybe you're thinking, yeah, it's, it's for other people, like more qualified people. That's what the enemy wants you to believe. He doesn't want you to walk in the fullness of what God has for you, but these promises are for you. The truth is that God uses anyone who will believe. He uses people like Moses. Moses was insecure. He had a speech impediment. He's like, God, don't use me. You know what? God used him to do miracles in Egypt. God used him to part the Red Sea. God used him to get water from a rock. He used him for so many miraculous things. Even though he was insecure, even though he wasn't a good speaker, God used him. God uses anyone who will believe, like King David. David was the least in his family. When the time came for them to appoint a king, his dad didn't even bring him out. He's like, oh, David, he's in the field. He's a shepherd. He's not going to be the king. No, no. God saw a man after his own heart, and he used him to be an incredible king. And yeah, David made some mistakes, but God was with him through everything. God wants to use people like Peter. Peter, who denied Jesus three times. Peter, who was a failure. Jesus, I'll never deny you. And then he denies him. God restored him and used him to lead 3,000 people to Jesus. That's what he does. He uses imperfect people, people who are just right for Jesus, exactly the way he created them to be, people who believe in what he says. And all of our beliefs, they start with trusting in Jesus, deciding who Jesus is to you. Maybe until now he was a nice tradition or someone that your parents told you about. Maybe you thought he was mad at you. You can decide today to make him your best friend, to make him the one that your soul longs to be with, to be within everything in your life, to enjoy a life of adventure with him. What you believe about Jesus determines everything else in your life. And right now, I wanna give you the opportunity to choose to believe in him. Maybe for the first time, or maybe you're recommitting your life to him. The Bible says when you pray in your heart and you say it with your mouth, he comes into your life and he makes you a brand new person.